The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. You have your Bibles, which I hope you do on a Wednesday night Bible study. Open your Bible up to the book of Habakkuk. You may have to look in the front of your Bible to get the page number to navigate there or uh, most of you, some of you have a little device and you can just click the word Habakkuk and get to Habakkuk chapter 1. Uh, it is a book of the Old Testament that is looked to more than some in the Old Testament because of the great, really the great content and application uh, that we will see as we even look through the scripture that we're going to look through this evening. Um, it's a powerful word that God has given us through the struggle of the prophet Habakkuk. Uh, it's a very it's a very applicational word. Some things we read in our Old Testament, we have to kind of what's been called go up the ladder of abstraction to come over to get to our day and age. On how does this apply to where we are living as New Testament believers? There's some places in the Bible that, that are the application is a little bit harder. You, you do have to get a, a principle for the, the day and age and that day and age and, and think, how does that correlate over into our lives today? And then there's other passages, there's other places in the Scriptures, the Old Testament in particular, that just speak powerfully to our everyday lives. Uh, the Psalms with the um, content and the emotional um, content of the Psalms speak so directly to all the things we experience and go through in our emotions today, living in life under the sun. The Psalms are so read because of that, because it's easy to see how this applies to my life today. The book of Habakkuk, uh, I hope we all find, is a book that speaks very powerfully and directly to our lives today. Uh, what I want to do is, you've probably heard the expression, you've missed the forest for the trees, or vice versa, you missed the trees for the forest, meaning anytime you go to study anything, you, you can study it and examine it so closely that you're, 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 you've got the microscope in on just one element of it, and you miss the forest for the tree that you're examining. You, you come to know the tree very well, but you never step back and see the forest. And vice versa, you can be so far back and you see the entirety of the forest and you see the big picture, but you never get up close to see the tree. And when it comes to the Word of God, we can often do that as we study books of the Bible even. We can examine verse by verse with a microscope and, and examine it so closely that we miss the whole flow of the, the book. We miss the overarching theme of the book. And then vice versa, sometimes in um, perhaps Sunday school curriculum that's just hitting the highlights or other, other studies that you do, you hit just the highlights and you get the big picture, but you never really get to dive in down deeply. I want to begin this evening by getting uh, just an overarching view of the book of Habakkuk so that we can gain a context and understanding of where this book is leading us. And then even tonight, we're going to zoom in to verses 1 through 4. And we're going to examine verses 1 through 4 more in depth. This book, in one way, first of all, is an open questioning, an honest open questioning from a man who is a man of God, a prophet of God, who knows God, who believes God is God. He, he believes in the scriptures that have been given to him. He believes in the character of God being holy and being good and being righteous. He does not have errant views.
views of God, but he looks around at life in his day and age. He looks around at the people of God even, the nation of Judah, the city of Jerusalem, and he sees such wickedness and such injustice and such immorality that that he's grieved and he has sorrow and he has confusion. God, if you really are who you say you are, God, if you really are who I know you are, how is this? Why is this? What is this? Where are you in the midst of all of the crazy that's going on all around me? It's an honest, open questioning from a man who believes that God is God, but doesn't understand all that's going on around him in his life. Look to verse 1 through 3. We'll just read those of chapter 1. The burden of the prophet Habakkuk that he saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Go to chapter 2 and verse 1. And Habakkuk is seeking God in the midst of his confusion, in the midst of his sorrow, in the midst of his grief. And he says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he, what God will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. And so as we'll talk about in a moment, he's praying and seeking God in faith, even in his confusion, even in his sorrow, knowing that he doesn't see it all, knowing that he doesn't know it all, and saying, God, I'm, I'm seeking your counsel, your wisdom. I'm confused. I don't get it. I don't understand what's going on all around me when I know that you are the God that you are. And so it definitely applies to us today, even as we look at our lives, and even as we look at the world around us today. This book is an awe-inspiring answer from the God who is sovereign over us and all things in our life. In this book, we get the answer, at least the partial answer, that God gives to the struggle of Habakkuk. You see it in chapter 1 and verse 5. And God says, Look among the nations and watch, be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe though it were told you. And we'll talk more next week about what that answer is that God gives and what He has planned that Habakkuk cannot understand nor see. And Habakkuk ends up having a little bit of struggle even with God's answer, not understanding how God can be God over even a wicked nation like Babylon. And and he asks again, I'm going to stand my watch. How can you, you, a holy God, do do this? We'll look to that in verses 12 through 17. And then God, God answers again. In chapter 2 and verse 2, it says, Then the Lord answered me and said, and we'll get to see the answer that God gives to Habakkuk's struggle. And how can a holy God, who is sovereign and who is good, be working good even in the midst of all the evil that was going on all around him? And ultimately, that leads us to a third summary of the book. This book ultimately is a soul-comforting admonition from God to trust God and to walk by faith no matter what. To trust God in our lives and to walk by faith no matter what. Chapter 2 and verse 4, if you highlight and underline in your Bible, this is a great verse to underline. Behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. 
Now, that's repeated again in the Old Testament and a couple of times in the New Testament, that the just, the righteous, meaning the one who is in pursuit of God, who is walking rightly before the Lord, will live not by his sight, not by his own intellect and wisdom, his own perception, but the just is going to live by faith in who God is, no matter what life entails. And ultimately what this leads Habakkuk to is summarized so beautifully there in the last verses of the book that is the end to which God is driving you and me as we study this book. Um, To think we all, like Habakkuk, struggle with things in life and struggle with our knowledge of knowing who God is and yet knowing when things go on in our life that don't fit who we know God to be, what's God doing in the midst of it. The ultimate drive of this book, the ultimate application of this book is put so well. When Habakkuk writes these words in chapter 3, verse 17, to the end of the book, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, all of that is poetic imagery, descriptions of things in life not going like they ought to go. All of those are bad things says, even when the bad things are happening in life, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like the deer's feet, and He will make me walk on my high heels. And then we read the final line, to the chief musician with with my stringed instrument. And it's interesting, we read that in closing, to find this is, this is poetry. This is a song, even, that has been put forth to express, as we'll see in just a moment, a lament, an outpouring of one's grief and sorrow and confusion and the things of life before God Almighty, knowing that God is who He is, that He is truly God Almighty, and finding an answer from God in the midst of it. And even in the... Lack of the fullness of an answer, he doesn't lead Habakkuk to a full understanding of all that will transpire and the reasonings for which everything is going to happen. He ultimately leads Habakkuk to a, a simple, just submissive faith. For Habakkuk to realize God is God and he is not. Habakkuk led to trusting God and saying, no matter what life entails, good and bad, I will follow the Lord. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will find my comfort and rest in the Lord because He is my strength. He will make my feet like the deer's. He will make me walk on the high hills that life may bring. And so ultimately this book is a a soul-comforting admonition to trust God in the midst of all the chaos of life, in the midst of all the wickedness of life, in the midst of all the unexpected twists and turns, hills and valleys that life is so full of. I want us this morning, or this evening rather, not this morning, we were saying good morning a moment ago, um, this evening to look to verses 1 through 4, and the title really to capture the thought of these verses is the lament of the prophet of God. I just said a lament is a passionate expression. A lament is a an outpouring of sorrow, an outpouring of grief, an outpouring of, of inward contention, of, of inward even confusion. 
You may have seen in the headlines recently a guy by the name of Oliver Anthony. Uh, he is, uh, was a completely unknown musician in the hills of Virginia or West Virginia, I believe. And all of a sudden, he has gone from complete anonymity to having the number one song on all of the music charts for all music genres on online streaming. He's gone from a handful of of views on YouTube to literally multi-millions of, many millions of of views. I I cannot recommend that you listen to any of his music because uh, I think the majority of his music has profanities in it, and so I would not commend you to go listen to it, but his songs are are actually laments. His, most of his songs are, are an outpouring of his griefs and frustration with life and with politics and, and just the way that life is gone, uh, living in the world in which we live. They're not godly laments. <laughs> They're worldly laments. They're sprinkled with a little bit of American Christianism. Um, they, they've got some... Christian components to them, and he'll even read his Bible, and he posts a Bible verse sometimes at the end, but they're by no means a biblical lament. Uh, We'll see what a biblical lament looks like tonight, but they are a lament. And it's interesting, in a lament, it's the genuine, just raw, emotional outpouring that captures attention, that's even captured the attention in his music of, of people just in general in our day and age, and in here, biblically though, reading a lament like we're about to read, it is something that is just a raw, honest outpouring of a person's grief and sorrow and confusion to the Lord. Here, a right lament, a biblical lament, a lament that I would call a lament of faith, (laughs) a lament of faith in God, not a, a lament of empty hopelessness that so many have all around us in this life, but biblically, an example even that is set forth for us of what we're to do in the midst of our confusion, what we're to do in the midst of our sorrow, what we are to do in the midst of our anxieties regarding what's going on in life when things don't line up like we think they ought to line up. Let's read verses 1 through 4. We already read verses 1 through 3. Let's read them again. The burden, the weight which the prophet Habakkuk saw. The prophet, the man of God, the spokesperson of God to the the people. O Lord, he says, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law, the law, perfect law of God, therefore the law is powerless. And justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Habakkuk is pouring out his heart to God. And we have a unique privilege of this being put to 
music as it was, becoming a, a psalm even of sorts that is inspired of God and recorded for our admonition. We get to peer into the private prayer life of the man Habakkuk as he pours out this lament before God. And I, I hope we come to see, I hope you see it as I see it, this lament is not something that is sinful. It's not something that God condemns him for. It's actually something that over 65 of the Psalms contain or categorized as Psalms of lament out of the book of Psalms. It's something that was common all through the Bible that in the midst of turmoil and sorrow and confusion in life when you you know who God is and you know the love of God and the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God and the holiness of God that there are times when you look at the fallen world around us and you look at the fallen life even that that is within you and, and that you're living in the brokenness of this world there are many seasons of life where we look and we say God I don't know what you're doing and your heart hurts And it's not necessarily a lack of faith or even a weak faith. It's the reality of faith living in the midst of a fallen and broken world where our faith is by faith and our walk is not by sight. Our walk is by trust in the Lord God and who He is even when life looks differently than that. And it is actually right and fitting in those seasons. Not to get mad and bitter against God, but to simply turn to God and to pour out your heart Pour out your sorrow, pour out your confusion, to even pour out your questions to Him in a right way, in faith. Rod Brockman said of a, a biblical lament, it's not simply complaining, nor is it spewing out trite theological answers. A lament is both expressing our true anguish and pain to our sovereign King, and then finding hope and comfort in the truths of His faithful character and promises. You know, perhaps you've had one of those moments before where your expectations of your life don't line up with the reality of your life. Have you ever been there before? It happens a lot, doesn't it? Sickness comes unexpectedly. Anytime a loved one passes, whether it's expected or not, one of those moments where we know deep down inside, like this ought not to be. It's, it's, we weren't created for death. God's written eternity on our hearts. And especially the unexpected passing of loved ones can really you know, wreck our heart. Because we know, we know and feel what ought to be, and it just doesn't line up with what we know ought to be. The loss of a job unexpectedly and financial burden that may come along um, goodness, just turn on the news one evening <laughs> and you, you see the chaos of life under the sun. You, know, you see the confusion and wickedness and twisting of all that is good and godly all around us. And, and it can lead you to a place of questioning. And, and there are some who condemn the questioning and say, oh, well, you ought not to question. And yet I read my Bible and I see men of God questioning God in a number of passages, and they're even presented as as psalms and even as this book of Habakkuk to lead and guide us in those seasons of our own life, not to condemn us for the the sorrows and the, the, the pains and the hurts that we're walking through, but to show us what we ought to do in those seasons. 
We ought to turn to God. We ought to simply pour out our heart before the Lord. Even when your heart is filled with hurt and confusion. Worded another way, what do we do when things are not what they ought to be? We turn to God in prayer. So notice firstly in verse 2, pour out your heart to God when it seems He isn't answering. Pour out your heart to God when it seems that God is far away and unconcerned and distant. He's not, he's not bringing the immediate response that you believe He should be bringing. He's not doing the exact thing that you were hoping and yearning and longing that He would do. What do you do in those seasons of life? You, you pour out your heart to Him. You don't turn away from Him. You don't grow bitter and uh, become... Uh, accusing against Him. No, you continue in humble brokenness, pouring out your heart to Him. Habakkuk writes in verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry? This isn't the first time that Habakkuk has turned to the Lord in prayer. It's not the first time that he's seeking an answer from the Lord. It's not the first time he's seeking divine intervention from God, that God would intervene, that God would make right what is wrong all around him. He has done this consistently and persistently, and he's saying, how long shall I cry, and you will not hear? He doesn't say, I'm going to stop crying out to God. He doesn't say, I'm going to turn against God. He is not bringing accusation against God as if God is to blame and God is not good. No, he's simply pouring his heart out before the Lord. I even cry out to you violence and you will not save. What is going on? God, you're not healing in this situation where I'm calling out to you to heal. God, you're not saving the loved one that I'm praying for for you to save. God, you're not doing this or doing that. God, why? I'm crying out to you. How long will I cry out to you and you not hear and you not answer? There is a time to call out in questioning of God in a right way. Habakkuk, again, here is not being criticized by God or condemned for what he is seeking. He's searching with an honest heart in pursuit of God. This prayer is a godly lament. It's a a right outpouring of his sorrow and confusion to God in a right heart posture, a, a right faith in the Lord, even as he seeks the answers that he does not know from the Lord. It's a prayer of what I would call hurting faith. You ever have a faith in God, but it still hurts? (laughs) A hurting faith? That's what Habakkuk is demonstrating here before us. He knows God is God, and he's turning to God, but in the midst of that, he's hurting. He's confused. It's a prayer of asking from God, not a prayer of accusing God. Someone wrote many years ago, though Habakkuk freely pours forth his feelings... There was nothing wrong in this before God. At least nothing wrong is imputed to Him. For why do we pray, but that each of us may unburden his cares, his griefs, and anxieties by pouring them into the heart of God? Since then, God allows us to deal so intimately with Him. Nothing wrong ought to be ascribed to our prayers when we freely pour forth our feelings. 
the end of praying is that every one of us pour forth his heart before God. I love that. The end of praying is that every one of us pour forth his heart before God. There's a difference between a right questioning of God and a wrong questioning of God. There is a way you can question God that is being accusatory, that's being even critical of God and demeaning, belittling of God as if you are the greater authority. I I find it helpful in my mind. I use my kids a lot for illustrations, but just thinking of them once again with me being their father. You know, to think of a situation that could arise where one of my kids would go through a procedure for their health. You know, maybe it's a surgery. Go back to Hudson splitting his lip and having to have stitches. And he's scared. He doesn't understand all that's happened and the need that he must go through to get... They wrapped him up like a little taco because he was, you know, to keep his arms from reaching up to, to grab his lips. And he's, he's wrapped up and, and the doctor and the surgeon, or doctor and nurses rather, are there. And they've got the, the, the big, huge, you know, needle and hook that you do the, the procedure with to stitch up a lip that has been split. I mean, when he cries out to me and, Daddy, Daddy, what's, what's going on? Daddy, Daddy, do you think my heart to him is condemnation? Like, do you think I look at him and go, stop questioning me? <laughs> That's how we sometimes think that God will, will respond to our heart being poured out to God. Now, if there's a situation where he's being disrespectful towards me, and, and it's me at work in his life doing, leading him across the road, for instance, and watching out for him as he crosses the road, telling Hudson, stop, look both ways, and he looks and says, Dad, why? I don't need to do that. And he questions me in that sort of demeaning way. You better be right. You know, I'm going to be getting on him, and it's not going to go well for him because that's a a condemnation against me. That's even accusing me of being ignorant of the situation he's going through. That's being disrespectful. That's not an honest heart outpouring of of just confusion and hurt and pain and not understanding to me. That's the difference in a godly lament and a godly questioning, a questioning of faith before God, and some that question God in a way that is accusing of God. God, I hate you. God, I hate what you're doing in my life. God, blah, blah, blah. And they, they can almost curse God because of the sufferings of their life. And that is not a godly lament. That is ungodly. That leads to bitterness and hate. That leads to even a greater correction from God. That is not what we're reading here and what is exemplified before us. What we're reading and looking to as an honest outpouring of one's heart before the Lord, knowing that God is God and that God is good and that God is holy, and yet looking around in his life and saying, God, how long do I cry out to you and you're not, you're not fixing it? I don't get it. I don't understand it. I, I'm going to set watch until you correct me. I know you will correct me because I know you're God and you've got the big picture, but I don't. Pour your heart out to God. When He seems like He's not answering, there will be times in your life where God seems distant. And what you do in those times reveals a greater truth of whether you truly have faith in Secondly, notice verse 3, pour out your heart to God when you don't understand what He is doing. Not only when He isn't answering, but when you don't understand what He's doing or the why. Why? Look to verse 3. Why? Why do 
you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble for plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Have you ever asked God why before in your life? I think in many occasions in my life, I've just honestly just in confusion or in hurt, just said, God, why? Why is it that that child passed? Why is it that a teenager didn't make it to the NBA? Why is it that fill in the blank as you can go through stories in your own life of people you know and sufferings that people have gone through, things that have happened, and you just don't you don't know. You know God, you know who He is, you know the goodness of God, His grace, His mercy, His holiness, you know His power and His sovereignty to do all that He pleases. But what you don't know is what you don't know. And how finite and limited we are, we don't see the future, we don't see eternity. eternity. We see the present. We know the here and now, and we're confined by the second hand on the clock. This next moment transpires, and you don't know what comes next, and you can't go back to what just happened. We are bound in this consecutive passing of moments that we call time. And it's good to just step back and realize, you know what? God says, I see the end from the beginning. That He is timeless in His eternality. That He he sees things very differently than we see them. He says in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. John Piper said it well when he said, God is doing 10,000 things in your life right now, and you may be aware of only two, maybe three of them. Think about that for a moment. God is doing 10,000 things in your life right now. And yet, you're only aware of maybe one or two or three of them. Right now, in this very moment, God is so at work in your life, in the everything of your life, that is so beyond your little pea brain and my little pea brain's ability to see and understand and see the, the ending of, that, that it's easy in our, our, our short-sightedness to, to be confused and to let fears and anxieties and doubts plague our heart and sorrow and grief and in, in a way that is not in hope of God to come into our heart. And it's good to just step back and be reminded God's at work in it all and He sees the bigger picture. Joni Erickson uh, Tada, I don't know if you've read any of her books or heard her story, I encourage you to uh, do so if you haven't, but she often uses the illustration of a tapestry to describe God's workings that we just don't understand in our life. A tapestry that you look at it from the, the underside, the, the backside of the tapestry, if you've ever seen a tapestry, and it just looks like a knotted mess. It, it doesn't look like anything of any worth or any value. It looks, it looks like something that ought to be thrown away. We, we, we see from the, the backside of the tapestry the, the works of life and all that God is doing, and we don't see the other side of the tapestry. When you turn it around, what you see is actually the beautiful picture, the beautiful art that has been woven with all of that thread into this beautiful, uh, beautiful creation. That from one side, you see no point or purpose in it all. But from the other, you see the beauty unfolded. And 
you likely got that from a great poem. I've read it to you before um, from Tori Tinboom. She wrote, My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors he weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing that this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to Him. What a great word. What a great illustration to remember even when life's sorrows come and bring doubt and confusion and you don't, can't make sense of it. God's weaving the tapestry. Someday He'll unfold the other side and you'll see the purpose. You'll see the reason. You'll see the beauty in it all. Until then... What do you do in the confusion? You pour your heart out to God when you don't understand what He is doing. Lastly, thirdly, pour out your heart to God when it seems that wickedness is winning. Verse 4. Therefore, the law is powerless. He's dealing with the law of God even, the perfect law of God, the powerful law of God. He, he looks around in the culture of the day and age and his own life and he says the law seems powerless. There's people breaking the law of God left and right and yet the judgment God has promised has not come upon them. They seem to be profiting from it and, and better off for having broken the law. The law is powerless, therefore justice is never going forth. Wickedness was prevailing. Injustice was being committed and even being rewarded. For the wicked surround the righteous. The, the wicked were persecuting and triumphing over those that were seeking to follow God and the ways of God. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. He looked at his day and age, at the very people of God, and he saw wickedness was winning. What did he do in the midst of that confusion? What did he do in the midst of that turmoil? He, he, he poured his heart out to God. He turns to the Lord in prayer. To sum up the answer that God gives. We'll look to it in the weeks that lie ahead. God ultimately tells Habakkuk, listen, I'm God, and I've got it under control. God says, we read it a moment ago, I'm doing a work that you wouldn't believe even if I told you. Because Habakkuk couldn't see the grand plan that God was accomplishing through it all. Um, God has promised He will judge. God has promised He will vindicate His name. He will vindicate His people. God has promised He will redeem and renew and restore. God has promised there is a new Jerusalem. There is a new heaven, a new earth that is to come where all that is wrong will be made right. God will someday eternally turn ashes into beauty. We walk by faith. And when seasons of life come, that that truth of God seems so far off and distant and our hearts are grieved and filled with sorrow and our hearts are simply hurting because of what we're going through, what do you do? You turn to God and you simply pour it out to Him in prayer. You seek Him in prayer in the midst 
of your sorrow. We'll close with reading a psalm of lament. Flip back in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 13. As I said earlier, this is just one of 65 psalms of lament. wonder if Habakkuk had this psalm on his mind as he wrote the beginning of the psalm of Habakkuk. (laughs) How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am removed. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight and we know in this room there are some people who are hurting. There are some who are going through the twists and turns of life that we don't understand, that we question. Because we know who you are. We know your goodness. We know your love. We know your grace and mercy better than even Habakkuk this side of the cross. We know you gave Christ to redeem us. Lord, knowing that, we have a revelation of your care for us and your concern that even Habakkuk did not know fully. And yet, we still live in a life of brokenness with broken things and a lot of stuff we don't understand. So, Lord, I do pray for any who are hurting, even in this moment, that they would turn to you, even as Habakkuk did, and just simply pour out their heart before you. And tomorrow, when the hurt and suffering comes, they'll turn to you and they'll pour pour out their heart to you next day and the next day, but as we face all that we face in this life, as we pour our hearts out before you, Lord, we ask you of your grace to give us a faith, to give us a peace that passes all understanding, to give us a joy in you, no matter when the fig tree, if the fig tree falls and bears no fruit and the livestock die, Lord, to remember we can always rejoice in you and to have that faith that sees eternally the goodness that you are working even in the midst of our suffering. Work, I pray, even now in this invitation, bring comfort, bring encouragement to those who need it. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.